Good morning. Are y'all going to say good morning back? Good morning? I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, we are in Psalm 51. I noticed up there, I think it says Psalm 50. But we are in Psalm 51 uh, today, and we're going to be studying that. Really, uh, just a, you know, something we repeat a lot, but just want you to know, uh, we study together, and, and when I come up here, I, I'm generally after reading other people, studying on my own, reading other people, uh, maybe discussing it with, with other folks here, uh, I try to understand what is this passage about, what does it say, and then help you understand it because you haven't had as much time to read it as me. And so uh, just as a reminder, we're, we're trying to read the Bible in a way that it makes sense. There's order and structure, and you can see it. And you don't have to walk out of here wondering, like, where did that come from? Did that come from his imagination? Uh, it, do, it doesn't. It just comes from what is this, we're trying to say, what does the Scripture say? And then help you see it clearly. And uh, that's another reason why uh, it might be good for you uh, as you study it, uh, as we study it together, to, to have a, a notebook, you know, just make some notes, or... Uh, to even have a Bible where you can write in in the you know side of it there and and just make notes so you can go back and think on those things later and so I just encourage you to do that it is uh, it's really important um, for us to to know what God says to see Him for who He is and to respond appropriately we want to know what the Creator and Redeemer who we claim to to follow right what He has said. And we want to understand it. And we want to internalize it. We want it to transform us. And so that's what we try to do every week. And uh, if, if you um, haven't been a part of that, it may be sometimes, like I've had several people come to me and say, early on, uh, you were kind of like shooting over my head a little bit. It's not because, uh, probably, it's, it's not because of, of the, um, it's just maybe your lack of familiarity with certain things that we're talking about. But we're trying to, to bridge the gaps, and sometimes I would fail maybe in bridging the gaps between the 21st century and the 1st century, or whatever we're looking at. So just kind of let you know that, and just encourage you. Uh, we are going to shoot a little higher uh, sometimes to say, look, I want you to know more when you leave here, and I want you to want to know more about God when you leave here. And so that's, that's kind of our encouragement uh, to you. So let's pray together, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that um, we could even understand what you say today, but not be impacted by it. We pray for your spirit's um, illumination, as theologians would call it, uh, the spirit's working in our hearts to help us understand. I pray if there's some here today that never have experienced the spirit's work in their heart, that you would bring them to life as we look at your word. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're going to be in Psalm 51. And uh, I was thinking this week like about stains, you know, like that we might have and that we uh, can't get clean. A lot of times like in clothing, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get a stain. There's everything about stain removers. And uh, we uh, sometimes, um, as a kid, I mean, I would be frightened thinking like, oh, no. I just got this in, in this shirt, and I'm going to go home, and my mom's going to be like, that's not coming out. 
you know, do you know, like, and, you know, you might get in trouble for whatever reason. Uh, my mom, because she had three boys, I think probably had to remove a bunch of stains, and even today Anna might say, can you take that over to her, you know? So she puts on these gloves, gets all these chemicals out, you know, for glasses. No, she doesn't. But it, it is like you can take it to her and say, you know, <clears throat> she, she might can do something with this. Uh, I have a tendency to leave pens uh, in my pocket, you know, and I, I'll leave like a blue pen in my pocket thinking that it would survive a flood, you know, and a, te- a, a torrential downpour. No, it doesn't. And the ink like goes everywhere and all the clothes inside the washing machine are blue because I, like I said, I usually use blue. And it's one of those things, again, that it's not, it's not a happy moment to get that call, you know, because really it doesn't show up until the dryer often, you know. So then the, you know, the dryer really is the thing that's blue, and it's, yeah, it's not fun. But I just say that to say stains are those things. We deal with those all the time. Like we deal with clothing stains, different stains, all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of hard. I mean, it's hard because you think, I really want to get that out. And, and, and so maybe some of you really are good at, at, at doing that on an earthly level. You can get those out. Maybe some of you, like, uh, you, you, so you like everything clean and right. You might just say, yeah, I'm like the best, like in my house, like when I'm cleaning. Have you ever used the magic eraser? I don't even know what that, I've read about it before. I think it's some kind of sponge as real fine things when you like, you're, it's almost like sanding down, like eventually your whole whatever that you're cleaning will just go away because it's going to just sand it all away. Uh, but it, it's, you know, th- those kind of things are, are things that we do. We're just trying to always kind of remove uh, things and get them out. But when, we're, when we get to, like, spiritual matters, uh, the issues of guilt, uh, regret over something we've done or said, stuff like that, uh, there's just no a magic eraser. You know? You know? And you, you might say, well, I... What I'll do is on the outside, I'll try to get really clean so that the inside will be affected, and it's like, man, that doesn't really work. You know, it doesn't matter. And I think we do that. We'll, we'll, I mean, there's ways even people, I think, punish themselves today in their world where they're just like taking it out on themselves or bodies or whatever in some way to try to get stuff to go away. And it's almost like... Um, and so they would dig down deep or, or, or maybe even try to just work through all of it in some way and just uh, not really be able to address it. I don't know if you've ever taken a piece of fruit. You, you think on the outside, oh, it's got that little damaged spot. And I'm, you know, you're using your knife, you're peeling or whatever. And you say, well, I'll take that chunk out. And then you're like, oh, no, there's more. And all of a sudden you're digging down to the, the, to the seed and you're thinking like, nothing's going to get this out. I've got to just go in there and there's going to have to be some kind of, I mean, this piece of fruit needs to be transformed for it to be right. Well, I say all that to say, today David is going to see sin in his life and he's going to see the depths of it and he's going to see it for what it really is and he's not going to like try to make it something that it's not. He's going to clearly explain what sin is, how deep it is, what the, what, what the, like, wh- how do we deal with it, and uh, how does God show us to deal with it. And we'll get a really good opportunity to see uh, what true repentance is like, 
and, uh, and, and restoration, kind of. It's like the whole package. So Psalm 51 is really uh, special in that way. Uh, James Boyce calls it this psalm, Cleansed by the Blood. Which, when, he, when I first read that title, I thought, man, that, that's not the way I would have titled this psalm. Cleansed, cleansed by, by the blood? Like, what? That seems like an interesting way to do that. But we're going to look at that and hopefully see it. So you're going to see forgiveness, confession, an appeal for cleansing, inward renewal, crying out for that, the promise to teach others after that happens. And then, like, the good that that does, especially in David's case, being the king, for others, like the, the, the world that he lives in. So, that's kind of the big picture. I think that's helpful. I think we need to see that and understand it. And we've been talking about, like, when we looked at Psalm 50, we said, you know, all the external religious stuff will not fix things with God. Like, just to do externally religious stuff doesn't fix things with God. And, and we need to understand what it means to be truly right with Him, what He delights to see in us, and, <clears throat> and we'll see that today. So, let's get started in Psalm 51. Look at that first, uh, what do they call that, like the little preface statement? I can't remember what they call that statement. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he was, had gone into Bathsheba. So, what happened? You could go back to 2 Samuel 11 and 12 and you find ex out exactly what had happened. David saw a woman. David takes the woman. David lies with the woman. David ends up finding out she's pregnant. David in then kills the man by sending him into the front lines at war. And uh, David faces all the repercussions of that because he just kind of let it go. And you understand a king in that time uh, that was not uncommon for a king of that period to do something of that nature, maybe. But uh, God sends his prophet to David. And he, the prophet says, you know, there was this man who had this lamb and raised it, blah, blah, blah. Goes to this story. And then, uh, you know, the wealthy man came and took it. And David was like, we're going to get that guy. And, and Nathan says, you're the guy. You're the guy, right? So after seeing himself for who he is, then we move from there. So that's kind of what took place. Now you might ask the question, what commandments did David break? I want to run through it real quick with you. So I, when you think about very base level, and that's what we talked about last week too, in the second tablet, what it's often called in the law, there are these commandments as they relate to other people. So J David started with breaking the 10th commandment, coveting. He coveted his neighbor's wife. Then he moves to the seventh commandment and commits adultery. The eighth commandment, and um, he steals, as Nathan points out, he has stolen something that was someone else's. The sixth commandment, he murders. The ninth commandment, he lies by covering it all up. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where you say, okay, I, I can see that. This is one of the most uh, tragic uh, activities in David's life, actions in David's life, and it's so clear, and everyone knows it, and it affects his life uh, for the rest of his life. But we kind of have to then deal with the fact that what does somebody do when they do something horrible? How, how does someone deal with their sin when they really see it? What are we supposed to do with that? Uh, well, you could cover it up. You could 
you know, do whatever it takes like David did, or what is the proper response? Or maybe you've done all the things that David has done here, and then you come to that place where you're, you, God in His mercy reveals, puts a spotlight on your sin. So let's look at that. So the first thing David does in Psalm 51 is appeal to God's mercy. It's like a cry for mercy. He says, have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the abundant mercy, uh, your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He begins with the character of God. That, that's the thing. That's where he starts. He appeals to uh, what you might call one of God's attributes. He appeals to God's mercy. That, that's his appeal. So he's going back to God. He, he does not start uh, with anything else but just to, to run to the Lord. Who is the Lord? And so he sees that. And, you know, this is not the time where he would want to go to the justice of God. The justice under the law is that he should be stoned to death. He appeals to God's mercy. And you thinking like if you're trying to think about what is mercy it kind of denotes a loving assistance boy says to the pitiful so it's somebody sitting there not thinking uh, it's not one of those days where he thinks he's so great he's doing so great he feels so great about who he is he is appealing to god's mercy uh during a time when he understands who he really is he speaks of god's steadfast love that's another thing where you say, that's a covenant love. It's a covenant loyalty love. It is, God, you've committed yourself to us. Like, I'm appealing to that. Remember what you said. You're going to be with your people. You're going to show steadfast love towards your people. And so he appeals to those things. Real repentance is agreeing with God about what we have done and it, 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 it involves you saying, God, in your mercy, you, you know I'm a sinner, but I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. Now, the other interesting thing just to note here is David uses a lot of terms for sin. Generally, you could say, okay, let's talk about sin. But then there are all these words that are used for sin uh, in the Bible. And so those are helpful to see. Um, one is transgression. It means like you've crossed the line. You, you have, uh, you, there's this forbidden boundary. Uh, you've probably heard people say something like, I never thought I would go that far. I mean, I, just, I was just dabbling in whatever. I never thought I could go that far. I just, I, I, I didn't think I would cross the line. It's like, they kind of maybe got up to the edge of it and then they just blew through it. And you say, yeah, but all those thousands of times of dabbling, all those times of letting your mind run to places, what did you think was going to happen? And David is saying, like, I crossed this forbidden boundary in this, this sin. This is not just like I made a mistake. I mean, you'll hear people talk about that, like, like things they do. It's like, well, I just made a mistake. It's like, stop saying that. It's not just a mistake. It is here, as he says, I have transgressed. I have, 
crossed the boundary. It has been set. I know what I did. Iniquity is another term. It, it speaks of his guilt. He is not a victim. It, 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 we live in a world like that where it's constantly, we're, we're victims of this and victims that have, everybody's got a story of why they do what they do. But he's not saying like, oh, it's because of this and because of that. He's not making up excuses. Um, it's not just a mistake, like I said. He, he's speaking of like, I mean, really, he's dealing with sin as it really is. So, so we stop and say, again, Boyce says, hey, it, this, the bigger picture is him being cleansed by blood. But along the way, we're first looking at his cry for mercy. And he cries out for mercy because he sinned greatly and he sees it. And then the next thing is, is in verses 3 through 6, you see a confession. It's just, he's confessing it. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. So again, he knows he's crossed this boundary, and when he speaks of sin, we, this is maybe a third definition, it has the idea of missing the mark. I know that I've missed the mark. I've crossed the boundary, I'm guilty, I've missed the mark, I know my sin, and it is ever before me. It's like, have y'all ever been blind to your sin only to like see it for really what, what it is? It's like, uh, maybe um, there's something about the fact that when you really see your sin, uh, or some grievous sin that you commit, a million other sins come to your mind. You know, I mean, that's why you're sitting there saying to God, God, uh, I know I've sinned in this way, and 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 this way. It just like, it's like it opens up this bag of, like this one sin might come bursting out of the bag, but it opens up a thousand others in your mind. And he is confessing that before the Lord. I know that I have sinned, and it's, it's before me. Then he says, against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What's he saying? It's not that other people weren't hurt. And that, that's another thing about sin when you're looking at this. It's not that other people are not hurt. But when you think about him saying, against you and you only I have sinned, what's he saying? First, by its very definition, sin is against God, right? That's just, you got to say that. Sin is against God because God is holy and anything that is not, that does not represent what he says is perfection is a sin and it's a sin against him. One author noted, a wrong done to our neighbor is an offense against humanity in the eyes of the state which measures wrongs by its own laws, that wrong may be a crime, but only before God is it a sin. So we might even call something a crime, but before God it is a sin. Because it is not the perfection that He designed. Second, it is only because God is in the picture that even a wrong done to our neighbor is wrong. How do you define what is wrong? That's sometimes when you think about it, people that will say, you know, well, I, I mean, I just do what's right in my own eyes, you know? 
It's like that doesn't work. Because that changes over time. It changes in a nation. It changes in a family. But before God, I have done what is wrong in His eyes. So what would God's response, like an appropriate response from God be? Well, he says that. You're justified in your judgment. What would that be? What would be the right thing to do in this case, even based upon the law of God? It would be for David to be stoned. That would be a proper response, a just judgment. And he says that. That would be just. So in his confessing of his sin, he says it would be right for me to be judged. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here's what David says. I'm not just a sinner because I chose to sin. I am a sinner, what? From conception. Like you can, you can say that's not true, but that's what he says. He's not saying that, but the, well, the circumstances around their relationship, I mean, we know about his David's father and mother. We know that there were all these sons. We know that he's the last son. We know that they were married. That, that's not, David is a legitimate son. There's nothing wrong with the, or anything surrounding his conception other than the fact that humanity, are, we are by nature sinners. Adam, I mean, Romans 5 says that. You are a sinner by association with Adam. You are a sinner by na your nature. And you are a sinner by choice. And David recognizes that. And he takes the blame for all that he has done. He doesn't say, well, because of Adam and Eve. That's not what he says. But he's trying to make sense of this. The depth of sin within. Now, but what does he say to the Lord? In his confession, he says, But Lord, I know you delight in truth in my innermost part. Like you desire to restore. You desire to, for us to grow in wisdom in the secret parts of our heart. You desire for us to be right. So here's the thing. This is really, oh man, we studied Hebrews. Aren't you glad we get to bring that to this place right now? The biggest issue in Hebrews, and the, the big thing of the New Covenant is this. You need pardon for your sin and purity of heart. That's the whole thing. That's what Hebrews is all about. The New Covenant's ushered in so that you can be forgiven of your sins and given a new heart. David starts this thing. He appeals to the mercy of God. He confesses his sins and he makes it clear what God really desires is to forgive and to restore. And, and sometimes, like, you ever been around somebody? I don't, I'm not, honestly, for us, we may have to question ourselves, like, is it even, are, are they a Christian? But they, they, they're like, they, they, they don't really, it's almost like you almost feel like maybe they've never experienced grace. And so they're constantly seeing people um, that have sinned grievously like David and they would, could not stand them. 
I mean, they, they would look at a David and be like, well, I'm not that. And you're like, that's great. So you're a Pharisee, one that Jesus condemned? Is that what you are? You're not like those people in need of God's mercy. So you're a Pharisee. That's great. Except for the fact that Jesus says, woe to those people. They have no inheritance. They have no place with God. They appear to because they're so religious and have it all together, but they're not really with Him. Because God is not looking at somebody and saying, oh, look, look at that person who's so self-righteous, they can point the finger at everybody in the room. They could stand up here and tell you all about all your sins and tell you there's no hope for you. But that's not the kind of church we want to be. Because we don't want to be a church of damn, you know, filled with damned people thinking in their self-righteousness that they have some hope. Nobody's going to stand before God and really see their sins and stand there and say, I am in good standing based upon my own efforts. Look at all I've done. Nobody's doing that. Nobody. And so David cries for mercy, confesses his sin, and then he asks the Lord to cleanse him. So notice what it says. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Now here's the thing. In Exodus 12, when the people of God were, um, the, the angel of death was going to pass over and kill the firstborn, the Lord said, select a lamb. Each family did this. Uh, a one-year-old, spotless, unblemished lamb, take the blood from that, use hyssop, this little stalk, and put it over. We just were singing about it. Put it over the doorpost. Why? So that the blood would cover you. So that the angel of death would not come and bring judgment upon you. You need to be covered in the, the mercy of God through that, the blood being spilled. When David says that, it is driving you back to that reality that you need a substitute to stand in your place. You need the blood to cover you. You need the lamb to cover you. And when we, we reading it as people that understand the fullness of that, would say, yes, God is merciful. Go to His mercy. Yes, I have sinned greatly. Run to that. And yes, I can go to the Lord and say, God, please cleanse me of my sin. And what do I remind myself of? That Jesus went to the cross, His blood was spilled so that I could not only my sins be covered, but I could be cleansed of my sin and brought into good standing with Him. That, that's the good news. That's why cleansed by blood makes sense for Psalm 51, and I would never have thought of it that way. This is the only way that you are saved. It is saved by cleansing. No magic eraser, no cleaning solution, no taking it to mom, no, none of that. His blood must cleanse you of your sin or you will not be cleansed 
period. So Psalm 51 is appeal to God's mercy, confess your sins, petition Him for cleansing. You need to make me clean. I can't make myself clean. I can't do enough. I can't work hard enough. There's no way. I can't scrub it for the rest of my life. I will not be able to clean it. I do not have any cleaning products that will do it. I can't cleanse myself. I can't. I can't do it. This is where sorrow meets joy. You see that? Why? Why would sorrow meet joy here? Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You say, good night. He's broken? How could a broken, wretched sinner rejoice? How in the world could that happen? Why? Because God delights in cleansing people. He loves to do that. He loves to do that. He, 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 he desires to do it. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. It's just, he is saying, take it all away. Take it all away. You say, you don't understand. He can't deal with that kind of darkness. Take it all away, Lord. Cleanse me thoroughly. I can't do it. Christ's blood shed for us his blood cleanses us so david cries for mercy confesses his sin prays for cleansing now this is the amazing thing again under the new covenant i just i wish i could remember this and i'll forget it y'all can come back and be like six months from now and be like jared don't you know about the new covenant remember what's promised there that you could be cleansed of your sins and made new and restored. That's what that's all about. Given a new uh, a nature and be transformed. So it's like, okay, appeal to God's mercy. Confess your sins. Cry out for cleansing. Hope in the renewal. It's an act of faith. All this is an act of faith. He's saying here, this renewal, what's it like? Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Make me new. Make me new. There's times where it's like, you know what happens? You're going through there the other day. Uh, I have a little jet foot motor that has, uh, my brother's had some fuel pump problems or whatever, and uh, he had told me about it, but we were coming back one day on the river not too long ago. We're riding along, and uh, it just, uh, there, it, you couldn't get fuel to the, mo the engine or whatever. So my buddy was like pumping the little bulb, like shooting fuel in there. And uh, we got back and he's like, we talked about all that could be because we kind of had a little bit of an issue. And um, I remember what my brother said and thought about that a little bit. And we were like, well, let's just replace the fuel pump, you know. Why? Because we couldn't change out enough stuff to make that right. God has to make us brand new. He has to 
give us a new heart. God has to do that. And God has promised to do that. And David in faith is saying, create in me a clean heart, renew, make new, transform a right spirit within me. Titus 3, 3-7 says this, listen to it. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, what? His mercy, right? He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, according to, uh, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Listen to that again. But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly. Understand that. The way in which you can be right with God is, is to recognize your sin, cry out to Him, seeing your sin for what it is, and asking Him, Lord, clean me and change me. Like, like legitimately change me. And that's what he says here. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be transformed. You must be changed in a moment. You must be experiencing the new birth. The old things have to pass away and the new thing has to come. You must be born again. David is crying out, Lord, restore me, transform me, change me. This thing's so stained, I need something brand new. I need you to change me. And notice what he says, and I need you to continue to renew me. Renew me, work that in me. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit, or do not take your Holy Spirit from me. It, the idea is he, the Holy Spirit hasn't left him. He may be thinking of Saul uh, and, and what happened with Saul, but ultimately he knows the Spirit's there, but like, I need you to like, change and restore and transform. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He's saying, Lord, I need you to give me like, joy in what you've done, and I need you to continue to, to help me understand and see this marvelous truth that you helped me along the way. Some of us don't realize that we are given this enabling grace to live a godly life. So, he cries for mercy. He confesses his sins. He petitions for cleansing by the blood of Christ, right? It's by the blood. I mean, of course, he's not seeing all that we see, but he is in faith trusting that God can cleanse and renew by faith. Both of those things, the amazing things. Now, look, look at this. What does he do with that? He promises to honor the Lord. So he doesn't come out of this and say, look how great I am. I did all those horrible things, but now I've made up for it by starting a foundation. And I'm going to start a foundation and give to all these people. That, nothing wrong with the foundation, but he's not, he's not making up for it. He's not saying, look, the scales were tipped. 
against me. But I'm going to make up for it so that the scales will be, will be tipped on the other side. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. The whole point is to drive them to God. Deliver me from your blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. What he's saying is, Lord, when you do this, I'm going to be explode with joy. You know, sometimes you ever think about this, like maybe you don't sing very like vigorously in a service because you don't feel that you don't have that feeling of, of rejoicing in how much He saved you from. Maybe you don't talk about and declare His praise because you don't think He's really done much to rescue you. You don't need that much. You know that, That's a scary thing to be in that place. What He's saying is, Lord, I want to speak to others. I want to tell them of Your saving mercies. I want to speak to them of Your grace. I want to be able to say to other people, the Lord cleansed me from my sins. They were horrendous, and He gave me a new heart. And I want to love people in a way where they know that there is a place to come, a place in the darkest of hours, a light in the midst of the darkness that brings salvation to people. I want to be that person that is standing there declaring that. I want to be the person that my kids can come and say, I have sinned grievously, and I'm there rushing in and saying, you know what? Christ saves gloriously. You want to be that kind of person. They can come and that exchange takes place. You say, yes, it's dark. Yes, you're more sinful than you ever thought. Yes, it's horrific. And yet, God's grace is greater than your sin. That's what you want to be. Your whole life should be an ambassador saying there is a kingdom that is so marvelous that even though your sins are as crimson, you can be made white as snow. That's your whole thing. That's your whole life. That should be your life's mission. To speak of the glorious truths of God that He takes people and He extends mercy to them, forgives them, redeems them, rescues them, remakes them. 16 and 17. For then you will delight in sacrifice. Or He says, for if you, you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A couple of things here. A person that has been broken by God can offer back to God a a life of praise because they've been redeemed by His mercy. Some of you today may say, you know what? I can think of all my spiritual accomplishments and how great I am. And I would say to you, probably, if you were to pile up all your spiritual accomplishments and you've got a kind of a wall of all the honors in your head, spiritually speaking, if that's you and you feel really good about your spiritual state and all that you've done, I would say, this this is a frightening thing, but... 
you are an arrogant person and you're hopelessly dead in your sin. If that's what you're bringing up to the table and you're dragging it, you're a hopelessly sinful person and without God's mercy, you will never be saved because you don't come trusting in yourself. Nobody comes that way. You come with a broken and contrite heart. And God gives grace to the humble. He is, he is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, the last little bit here is a desire for good, for the good of all. One of the things that will happen is, as David is, is doing the right thing and the people see him doing the right thing, that certainly blesses the city. And also, I think just in general, you could just say, when people begin, when a family, a, a father or a mother does the right thing and, 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 and responds appropriately to God, when that happens, it blesses all. But the whole city will be impacted. The city of Jerusalem, uh, the things will be right because there will be these examples of people being broken over their sin and hoping in Christ, and that will be on display. So here's the kind of the last little thing, a couple of questions for you. Have you ever really cried out for mercy? I mean, really needed it, right? Have you ever truly confessed your sins before the Lord? Have you begged for cleansing? Have you hoped in renewal? Have you rejoiced in His salvation and shared this with others? Have you sought to do good to the church as we corporately offer our lives back to Him? That, that's a sign of one who has truly been born again, whose sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who have been restored within and now are offering their lives back to Him. If you're not there, we'd love for you to be there. We want to encourage you to be there. This church is filled with people that it would say uh, that Psalm 51's my testimony. They'd love to tell you more about that. And so um, I, I just pray that you would uh, respond to that appropriately. So we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper to now at this point. Every week uh, we are reminding ourselves of the fact that we are saved um, by Christ's work. 